Morning, church family, both online campus and on campus campus. We're glad you're here. And I want to, in advance, um, say thank you. Very humbling to have um, receive, be on the receiving end of things. And uh, we do love you guys so dearly. And uh, this means uh, so much to us that you just show up and allow us to lead as, as, as pastors. And I think I know that our elders feel that way too, that we're humbled by those of you who call this your pasture and uh, us, you know, your shepherds, and that we would lead and, and guide you spiritually and encourage you in your walk in the Lord. And so uh, we never take that for granted. And, and it's just a, a special honor to have you honor us and say thank you to us. Uh, I wrote a little bit on my um, social media this week about so many pastors who had touched our lives and uh, both, uh, I didn't really speak for Michelle so much, there are many more if I added hers in, but there are so many pastors that shepherded us, beginning with my father uh, in my life and her dad in, in her life, uh, that were both pastors and they were our shepherds at a, at a key point in our life and taught us uh, how to love God's word, how to love God's people, how to love God with all of our heart, and, uh, you know, uh, then there were so many behind that because I grew up in the ministry as a pastor's kid. You know, we had a lot of pastor friends and people who mentored in my life. And from, you know, when we started out at kids camp and youth camp were mentors and teachers to us and loving on us and strengthening us. And I, I do think sometimes we fail to realize how what an impact some of these people have made in our life. So it was a joy this week for me to just kind of be thanking, thinking of them and thanking them for uh, their contribution in our life and our ministry. And they have their fingerprints all over. Some of the decisions we've made in ministry, um, the way we lead has been affected by these people who have touched our lives and, and shown us what is very important. I'm gonna to talk to you today about uh, the what it is that God requires of us out of math, uh, I'm sorry, Micah chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, Micah the 6th chapter, and we're going to begin with verse 1 here in just a moment. Title of the message is saying yes to the conductor. We're in the God Talk series for those of you who are well lit up in the <laughs> underneath the balcony over here. And uh, the God Talks uh, light is over there that you can be well seen and uh, we are uh, reminded that this is the season of God Talks, and the theme of it is saying yes to God. In this particular instance, saying yes to God as the conductor of the universe, the one who decides what is right and what is wrong, and that we will follow his lead rather than the lead that we would choose or the direction that we would like to go. And uh, opening words are uh, important. Uh, so chapter... Uh, 6, verse 1, opening words here, the prophet Micah. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, at the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. Oh, my people. This always, every time I read this, sounds so familiar 
It's Jesus uh, standing over, look, overlooking Jerusalem. Old Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It is a constant phrase that we see throughout Scripture of God calling to all of his people, pleading for them to listen to his voice. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from uh, Shidom to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord, and bow yourself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves of one year? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for, my, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. Father, open our hearts to your word and to what you want to say to us today by your spirit. There is the message and there is the implication and the application of that message into each of our hearts. Let us be open to receiving that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let me begin this way by asking this question of you. Do, you uh, do orchestras really need conductors? Do orchestras really need conductors? Peter Bay would say affirmatively yes to that question. But after all, he is the conductor of the Austin Symphony. So I would imagine that he would be in favor of having a job. <laughs> But I haven't asked, and I do suspect, though, that all the members of the orchestra would all agree with him that there is need for a conductor. If the conductor were to be deposed and, uh, you know, by them in some kind of a coup, and, and the members decided that they were going to do simply whatever they wanted to do, they were going to go by their feelings and their emotions, and when they wanted to rise in, at a level, they would rise at a level, and when they wanted to go down, they would go down. Maybe others of them would think, I want to play this and rather than that, and then, you know, what we would have is a chaotic mess. It would be very unappealing, and none of us would want to buy tickets to go to that concert, right? All of the harmony that was potentially there by submitting you know, to the orchestra score by bowing under the, the baton of the beady-eyed uh, conductor would, of course, be forfeited and lost. Now let me ask you a second question that's important for us in the hour in which you and I live. How are we to account for the absence of harmony in the world that you and I live in? How are we to account for the absence of harmony in the world that you and I live in. Now, one answer to that, and it is, of course, the biblical answer, would be for us to acknowledge that we have deposed the conductor. That's what the Bible tells us, that God, we were created by God and for God, 
And yet we have been separated from God by our sins and we have, you know, scattered and gone with our own imaginations and our own hearts. And we have moved in directions that brings about such disharmony that it can scarcely be recognized as what God originally created it to be. And that is why you find people saying, and you um, and me as well may have said at one time or another this in our own hearts that who needs a score <laughs> you know like we can play whatever we want to do you know whatever comes along we can we can make uh, up what we want we can play whatever tune that we like i can play what's important to me you can play what's important to you and why should it matter and furthermore people might even say that the idea of the conductor is a you know, an, an ancient idea, and, and uh, who really needs that anyway anymore? Because it seems so restrictive, and, and we need to be able to, to move with our feelings, with our emotions, and the directions that we feel that we should go. We need to be able to move with the waves of culture, and as modernism and, and postmodernism are moving in, we need to be able to advance, and we don't need someone at the conductor's helm telling us no, or refusing to allow us to move in the directions that we want to move. There are a few people that I would ever meet, or you would ever meet, I think, that especially in the moment that you and I are living in right now, that would argue that we are a divided world, that something is broken. It is a world that is not only fractured, but it is a world that is fearful. It is a fearful place inhabited by people who are themselves increasingly filled with fear. And let's acknowledge that that fear in our world right now has a basis. There is a foundation for a fearfulness in our world. We're dealing actually in this moment with a three-headed monster, aren't we? First of all, we're dealing with it pandemically in terms of, of this three-headed monster. Our lives have been completely changed by the result of a virus that has swept across our world. And every morning we wake up and we hear new statistics, we hear conflicting uh, solutions, uh, varied attempts to restrain the virus, and there are new variants that are popping up. And in the middle of all that, the novel idea that we are supposed to be isolated is, is something that we have never experienced before. And, and to be continually isolated and separated from one another. And, I, and, and then we, in, in the light of, of the loss of life and what's happening, you know, in, in hospitals, it's, it's almost impossible to, to just walk into a hospital as we used to. As a pastor, I was accustomed to just, that was like my second home. I, people were sick. I would just go into the hospital and visit, and everything has been flipped upside down. Everything has changed overnight. And who would have ever dreamed about having a virtual funeral? No one would have ever dreamed this. And we're in the midst of something like this that we have never seen or never experienced. The second part of that three-headed monster is economically. We are seeing things economically uh, we have gone through difficult times in, in our history, but we are, we are just seeing some unprecedented spending. Never before in, in my lifetime uh, did I ever think I would hear the word trillions so many times and, and that billions would just seem like nothing. 
because uh, when they were talking billions, it, you know, I was thinking millions was a lot, you know? And, and we have moved into a realm of, of economic uh, looming disaster, if you will. And, and we are, we, we've seen massive unemployment. We've seen businesses constrained and shut down. And, and uh, then when they tried to revive those areas, uh, the small businessmen, people that had businesses before can no longer afford to be in business. And we've seen unprecedented things. We had the chance to travel uh, to an area that we go to that's out of the country and, and uh, in this past year and some of the places that we love to go to was in Mexico and some of the places that we really love to go to were completely closed and there were places that were, they were booked out. They were always filled, these restaurants and places that we would go to. Every time we would go there, it was, it was packed, but they have not been able to survive the shutdown. As a result, family businesses that had gone on, uh, you know, for decades and, and years and years have closed and they are no longer in business. It was a sad walk across these streets and down the streets with all the memories that we had with the family and friends that we had bought and our children were very young when we started going to some of these places and all the memories that we had. And now we're looking in at a barren place, empty we have faced not only the economic side of this three-headed monster, but we're also now thrust into racially in our nation. Our nation has been fractured and its brokenness has been highlighted by demonstrations that have swept across our nation, and which is the worst we, we begin to think about, you know, what, what is the worst thing that's going on? Is it the pandemic? Is it economic crisis? Is it, you know, the, the racial issues? And, and we've often used the phrase, and it's so real to all of us, that we are all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. So for many of us, one or the other seems to top the list more than the other. But the three-headed monster has foundations for the fears that permeate in our society. It's almost impossible for us to come to Micah chapter 6, verse 8 in these days, in which you and I are living without making a couple of observations about the day in which you and I live. And the first observation that I would make is that language is now abused and that words have really lost their meaning. For example, the, the terms like fascist, uh, they, were, they, they had a real meaning, they had a real origin and and it, it, it was used, uh, you know, it's used now at all times to, and, and as labels for particular kinds of people. And it's, it's misused and misrepresented. And then uh, another other word might be Nazi. Nazi has been a term that has been thrown around and used and misused and had real meaning, real origin to it. And, and those of us who have some connection to historical understanding of that, we, we know that and we understand that. And in the same way... The word racist now has been devalued and, and given uh, meaning that is not its true meaning. It's important for us not only to make these observations about words that were common in our culture that have been redefined, misused, mislabeled, but it's important that we understand that that's also happening to God's word. In particular, the word gospel is being attempted to be redefined in our society to mean and to say something that it does not mean and it does not say. The second observation that I would make about our times and the things that are going on is that 
Objective morality has made a comeback. And what do I mean by that? Well, issues around us are now immediately identified as right and wrong. And that's really very different for the last several decades here in America. So right and wrong is making a comeback on the agenda, which is quite surprising in, in Western society and Western culture, because certainly in the last 50 years or more, has increasingly, we've come to regard ethics as a matter of personal taste. You might think this is wrong, I think it's right. I might think this is right, you might think it's wrong. And we have lived this way now for more than 50 years to where people have come to believe that, you know, it, it is, it is uh, reasonable to think that there's no real right and wrong. It's just in the eyes of the person um, who, who is acting. And yet now we find that there's a comeback. After all, with, with no conductor, you know, we can play whatever tune we want. And, uh, you know, as, as long as it doesn't bother anyone else, that was kind of the rule. Do what feels good. Do what you want to do. Uh, but now, you know, we are, we are back to there being a right and a wrong. And I uh, use an example, a, a sign I saw, you know, a f- several months ago, and, and the sign read, racism is wrong, which, of course, every one of us know, and every one of us who have a right definition and understanding of what racism is, we have no qualm with that at all. We fully understand what that means. But the thought occurred to me as I was driving away from that sign that it, it, it isn't, uh, the sign didn't say res- racism is a bad idea. The sign did not say, my personal view is that racism is wrong. No, the sign says it's wrong. Because every honest person knows that it's wrong, and the biblical perspective is clear. But it was something that stuck with me because I thought, here we are identifying right and wrong, which is a good thing, in line with the scriptures. That we would identify something that is right and something that is wrong. Because when we turn to the Bible, we realize that the Bible says there is only one God and there is only one reality, which is, you know, uh, that man has been made, uh, men and women have been made in the very image and the divinity of God. And in the image of God, they were made. They were made for Him and by Him. And as a result of that, there is only one morality that emerges, and that, that morality is defined by God Himself. And so as we look at the text here and we get down to the meat of what is God saying here, He's saying, I will tell you what is right and I will tell you what is wrong. It's not something that you have to wonder about or judge by your feelings or emotions or the waves of culture. I will make it clear for you in my word what is right and what is wrong. The sanctity of human life is bound up in the fact that man was made in the image of God. His genetic code was written by the Creator Himself. He is not a product of time plus matter plus chance. He was put together purposefully. His genetic code was written by the Creator Himself. That is why the Bible says that if you take man's life... You forfeit your own life. 
we have a skewed view of, of life and the importance of life without God, and he gives us clarity on how important it is. In the beginning, God created, and he loved, and he fashioned, and he formed, and he knows us. Every fiber, every molecule, he knows you intimately. And the Bible teaches us, as we, as we look through the Bible, that, that even when... When man is gone from the earth, God remembers him and thinks about him. When God came to uh, Cain, who had killed his brother Abel, he said, Your brother's blood calls out to me. I know him. I remember him. And his very blood has a voice. Leviticus says the life of the body is in the blood. That everything that was, is, about us is unique and God knows it all and understands it all in ways that we can never get our minds around. That science as we know it and as, as human beings will never fully understand life, but God does. You think we care about life? We don't really care enough. God cares. God made us. God loves those, every, every one of us. He loves us each. He made us individually. He understands us. He cares about us. He loves us. All of us have emotional attachments. All of us have backgrounds that are unique. And the real question is, are we going to, under, you know, to gain an understanding of what is right and wrong and live our lives based on the scriptures themselves, or are we going to try to go our own way without a conductor? Are we going to say that my opinion is valid as the next person's opinion? And perhaps it's true if it's good, but by and large, we all need God to define for us what is right and what is wrong. So what is Micah saying in the text? Well, he's not talking about his own ideas, his own thoughts, and his own philosophies. My life experience is. And we know that because I said the opening are so very important to our understanding of what is going on in this passage. And here's how he opens the passage. Hear what the Lord says. It is the role of every prophet, it is the role of every pastor and teacher to do just this. Don't hear what I think. Don't hear what my life experience might tell me, but hear what the Lord says to you and to me. In our church, we encourage you to examine the scriptures. You're not left or discouraged that you should just wait for me to tell you what it says, but you're encouraged to take this book and open it up and read it. And let God speak to your heart as He speaks to me. Let the anointing of the Holy Spirit come and each word jump off the page and not just be letters in the book, but life to you. Speaking the truths that God has. And He says in this passage, uh, for the Lord has an indictment against His people. And He will contend with Israel. Oh my people, what have I uh, done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. And then he gives them a historical lesson. For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and I redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent, you, uh, sent before you Moses, Aaron, Aaron, and Miriam, 
Oh, my people, remember, in another historical lesson, Balak was sent by the king of Moab to curse Israel. Had every intention of, of using his powers as a prophetic uh, person, as a person who had a gift to curse Israel so that the king of Moab's army would be strengthened to go and defeat Israel. And as he stands up to do what he... It's a great story if you want to go back and read it. Uh, it, it's, it involves a donkey. The donkey starts talking to him. I always was struck by... It was funny to me because he doesn't... You know, he's so angry with his donkey you know, that he just starts talking to him too, just like donkeys always talk. I thought, at what point did it dawn on him, I'm talking to a donkey? <laughs> there are some funny stories in the Bible. I always got a kick out of, you know, uh, Jesus, you know, uh, when early, when he's about 12 years old, he's, he's in the temple and his mom and dad, you know, are, are preparing. And they're in the, 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 the big company of people going back to their homeland. And they suddenly realize that Jesus is not with them. And I've often thought, you know, who do you tell that you lost Jesus, you know, like, <laughs> father, lost your son, you know, <laughs> let's go look first, then we'll talk to God, <laughs> you know, and there are things like this that sometimes I think we miss, but here's the donkey talking to Baal, and, and he's, he's like, uh, you know, just having this conversation, and, and, and God turned what was going to be a, a curse into a blessing. He stands on the mountain overlooking uh, the millions of people of, of Israel, and he, and he pronounces a blessing when he intended to pronounce a curse. And they, they greatly defeat the army of, of Moab, and, and God's reminding them, he's saying, you know, even when someone has come to curse you, I turned it to a blessing. Yes, yes, come on. Even when someone decided to do something destructive, don't you remember why? Why would you depose me as the leader, as the conductor, uh, over, over everything, because I have always been about your good. I have always been in the best interest of, of what is for you. And even when you've gone through difficult times and trials, and, and, and those have stood against you to curse you, I made them bless you. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams? He's talking about now, what, is, what do I want from you? Or you, you know, you're, you think that, this, this show of bringing in sacrifices and is, is what I want, that you're just herding in animals and slaughtering them and, and going through ceremonial purifications and, and acting as if this religious acts are things or, that I really want and desire from you. Is that, is that where you're at? Is that what you think? And then he says, Oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God. What does the Lord require of you? You know, at first glance, this, is, this seems to be simple. It's a three-point outline. God uh, requires that, you know, we do justice, that we love mercy, and that we walk humbly before God. It seems, you know, pretty, pretty simple. And yet, Newton, the hymn writer and the pastor, Commenting on this particular passage, he says there's hardly any passage in Scripture that's more generally misunderstood. Well, it seems very straightforward to me. There's essentially these three points, right? Number one, to do just, justly. We have a, a whole movement going on right now that is calling out for justice in, a, in the social forum. 
that there be justice enacted, that, that things are set aright. And here we see God saying, I, I, I want you to do justly. That is, what he's saying here is to, is to act in a way that is the reversal of all that was taking place, that it means doing justly in accord with the will and the purpose of God, as, as has both been manifested and is revealed in the Scripture. I want to say something to you, uh, first of all, that, you know, was it, was it justice that Israel was enslaved? Was it justice that there have been people in, in Scripture who, who have gone through the deepest of sorrows when, when Ruth uh, you know, lost her husband and Naomi uh, lost her husband and they have to sojourn with nothing back to uh, the land of, of that, that, was, that, that she was born into? Is, is there any justice in that? How, how you and I at measuring justice, how are we doing along that line? How do we set the scales right or do we trust that like Job, God, I don't have any idea what's going on, but I know you're a just God. Yeah. Yeah. And here's, here's what I'm going to say based upon my loving experience with you. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be your name. Amen. It's yours to give. It's yours to take away. I trust you that justice emanates from you and not from society and not from the, 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 the learned uh, universities across the land, but all justice emanates from you. And even when it looks like that it might be injustice, there is justice in the mix if I will trust in you and lean into you and believe in you. We have the example of justice being enacted by Moses when he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow in Deuteronomy. And to love the sojourner and to give him food and clothing. And, and Moses tells them that. But here's the real problem with you and I trying to enact justice. Here's, here's where we go. The problem is that we turn righteousness into a program. That's what God's talking about when he's talking about justice. I want a righteous community. And what we do is we turn righteousness into a program. And, and when God, and that's why, that's why um, that Newton was saying it's so misunderstood. We, we've taken, you know, well, we've got to have a food program. Well, you know, we've got we to have this, we've got to have that. Not that those things, there's anything wrong with us executing those things. It's, it's that we don't have the greater understanding of what it's all about. We never connect the dots. And the dot is God's idea of justice is a righteous community. A community where this flows naturally. It's not contrived or, or thought out and, and we're worried about, you know, we're going to have enough volunteers to do it. We're going to have to stop this program because we have the funds coming in and we don't have enough volunteers to, to come and, and, and help this. But God's saying, this is, this is uh, how, it, how I want it to work. It's a righteous community. And this is flowing out of you. Giving and loving and ministering is flowing. It's not a program with a name. It is God's righteous justice being lived out by God's righteous people in His community. People who corporately worship God together and do what is right towards God and towards one another. 
We see a picture of that in the book of Acts. How they broke bread, how they, they, they gave of their funds and finances so that those who uh, you know, were needing to go back uh, and, and leave the revival could stay and be encouraged and trained and equipped for ministry so they could take what they had learned back to where they were. And so they said, well, you know, you, you have to go back because, you know, you're, uh, you, you have to earn income. Well, I, we're going to share. We're going to share what we have as a church so you can stay here a little longer and learn and grow a little deeper. We're going to break bread together. We're going to fellowship together. We see a beautiful picture of that being born in the book of Acts. And it was natural. It wasn't a program. We've turned the church, though, into a location where we have weekly events. And then we return to society. God says, you're, you're doing everything wrong. You don't understand. And that's, that's, that's what was, Newton was talking about. You, you don't understand what justice is. What righteousness is. And he said this, this should be not a program, not an event, but this should be coming out of your relationship with me, just flowing out towards one another, lovingly towards one another. The second point in what he's saying that God requires of you is that you love mercy and, or, or loving kindness. It's an attitude of the heart. Warm-hearted compassion, these actions taking place, not as a performance, but as, as a natural warm-hearted compassion one towards the other. Not as some demanded duty, but as a, a glad, spontaneous action. I watched this happen one night here at, at church. There was a, uh, a lady who was here who suddenly, she learned suddenly that her father had passed away. And... Um, you know, um, we didn't have a benevolent program going on. It was a, a Saturday night service. And uh, as people began to talk and find out the issues that were going on in her life, she's going to need to fly back to Ohio where her father was. She was going to need uh, funds for that. And, and people just began to spontaneously give. You know, somebody brought up $100 cash and another... Somebody, one of the uh, elders at the time left, went home, said I had some, some mad money I'd saved up, and you know this is, this is what it's all about. I brought like $600, so I want you to, to use this to buy the, the ticket, because we all know that that last-minute ticket, you know, when you go in there on Monday or Tuesday to try to buy a plane ticket, they've skyrocketed that thing up through the roof, right? Because you didn't plan ahead. And I, we watched this spontaneously happen. It just overwhelmed me as a pastor to just, just see the loving community do what was natural in the loving community, the faith community. That's exactly what's being talked about. Loving kindness and mercy that just spontaneously happens because he's loved us and we love him and we love each other. Yeah. A natural response towards one another because we have been loved. The third thing he says here is to walk humbly. To walk humbly. In other words, to, to walk in submission to God's will. In the New Testament uh, terms, it's, it's Romans chapter 12, verse 1. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice that is acceptable as worship to Him. Completely, you know, unabashedly offering ourselves to God for whatever and however He wants to use us. And what, what a stark contrast that, that, that would be in the culture that you and I live in, living humbly in a narcissistic culture, right? It's a stark contrast when, you know, we're in the culture, you know, of uh, social media that says, see me, notice me, don't you want to be like me? 
right? And that we would walk humbly with God and we would honor him by being a complete sacrifice for his glory. That we're not out trying to defend ourselves or defend our ideas or positions, but we're all about him and his idea or his, his law and his justice and his righteousness. We're willing to lay ourselves down in order that he might triumph and live through us. Amen. Amen. In the hour in which you and I live, you can't imagine how many people are looking. I, I, did these, I just came through 21 days of prayer on social media. <coughs> Excuse me. And I had it was just really very short, three-minute little segments of prayer, choosing different kinds of things. And uh, a couple of them really, you know, uh, people caught on to. And, and one of them was, was, God, grant us your favor. Grant us your favor. And I uh, had people comment, and there was, there was one lady that says, I, I want to thank you so much for these simple prayers. In the hour in which we live, it means so much to me. You can't imagine how many people right now are looking for us to walk humbly yeah. with our God. Yeah. And to not just hear our voice bellowing something out, but to see our actions in love for community and those around us and in love for him, and the relationship that we have with him. It is a way of life, not one time accomplishment that you and I do. And that's what is being talked about here. And that's why Newton said we're so, you know, we mess this verse up so bad because we, we try to program it. We think in, in some ways that it's just an accomplishment. It's a check on the list that we did this. We walked humbly with God. Uh, and, and he said, this is, this is a way of life. And I'm not sure that the church really understands it. It is why God's standing before Israel at this point. Jesus, uh, later in the New Testament, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Israel, oh, my people, won't you hear my words and my voice to you? Can you, in the midst of screaming voices and angry, uh, angry people, can you arise and be what I called you to be? Can you do justice, live righteously? Can you love mercy? Can you walk humbly with your God? I want to invite our worship team to come back. And I want to ask if I can lead our community in a prayer of repentance. And if you wouldn't mind standing with us as we pray together. Would you bow your heads and your heart before the Lord? both online and on campus here. Lord, we ask you to forgive us where we have turned worship into an event or a program. Forgive us for attempting to program justice rather than live out the righteousness in a community or as a community. Teach us your ways, the way of mercy, Love that responds in kindness and benevolence. Teach us how to walk humbly with you. To stand in the shadow of the light of glory so that it may fully reveal your majesty and you may be on display always.
as John said, we must decrease so that you may increase in us. Let the increase come in our church and our congregation in such a way that the world around us is magnetically attracted to you and not us. That they want to know how we surrendered to your Lordship. That they too want to be those who make you Lord and leader over their life. Father, we are in an hour and in a time in our community, in our world, that can, it, it contends for the brevity of what is left of life as we know it here, that we're anticipating the soon return of our Lord and King. And we have just moments to share this good news with those around us. The true gospel to do justice, to live, to love mercy, to live loving kindness, and to walk humbly before our God. It is all because of you. It's all because of you. We want to enthrone you as the conductor of the universe. When we come together, that people can see an example of what a world looks like, what the kingdom would look like. If we would all invite the conductor to do what the conductor does, to bring harmony and love and mercy and grace. We repent, Lord, where we have deposed the conductor and tried to go our own way. Tried to defend our own positions and points and we say, Lord, humbly today, we enthrone you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Have mercy on us and forgive us. And teach us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. In Jesus' name.